Hey everyone, uh, this week we have something a little different for you due to an extenuating circumstance. We don't have a new episode this week, but instead we're going to share with you one of our bonus episodes, which we record uh, every month for our Patreon. And this episode is going to be about the Stanford Prison Experiment. Uh, it was a famous experiment that happened in the 1970s where a group of students was assigned randomly as prisoners and guards, and uh, well, all hell broke loose. So we figured this would be a good one to share while everyone is cooped up inside for this pandemic. Um, so if you like this episode, you can definitely go check out patreon.com slash paperboyspod. We release one just like it every month. Thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy the show. And welcome to the Paper Boys bonus episode this month for December. I'm your host, James. Who are you oh, here with, James? <laughs> that was that was your cue, Charlie. That was your cue. <laughs> with, as always, my faithful co-host, Charlie. I think if people are tuning into the bonus episode, they know who you're with. I know. You know, I could actually just At not this even point, speak the rest of the episode. Then they would just know what you're going to say. That's true. I could use my voice double, oh. which I now have. Tell us more about your voice double. Well, I won't say too much because it's kind of a teaser for a potential future bonus episode. Okay. But there's this company called Liarbird, and they do this like AI voice thing. It's it's a deep fake. Okay. And so because we have, you know, dozens of hours of our voices recorded, I sent them some files of my voice, and they sent me back a program where I can punch in text, and it will spit out my voice saying those words. Watch out podcast world fake charlie's on his way i know i can actually retire from podcasting now you can replace yes. me i'll replace you with a text monkey yeah that sounds good to me it's like uh do you ever see that simpsons episode i probably brought this one up again i bring up the same thing all the time i'm getting old but um mr burns got like a whole room full of monkeys chained to typewriters oh. to write the best next new book the yeah. best next book and uh it's like the best simpsons episode ever you've sent me like this clip probably multiple times oh absolutely is it like the times. best of times it was the blurst of time <laughs> and then he picks it up and trashes it and <laughs> stops the whole project nice yeah i think we also have to address the other elephant in the room is the fact that we're filming ourselves looking at you cameras yeah filming ourselves at uh the harsh under angle everyone can see our fatty chins i know yeah not but very becoming I have a podcast host not very becoming but this is a new thing we're doing for patreon filming the bonus episodes yeah, let us know what you think. If you hate our faces, tell us. You probably should. Probably should. Yeah. I, my mouth is like weirdly masked right now. Oh, well, readjust. Now's the time. We're beta testing this program right now. Yes. Um, but in all seriousness, if you are listening to this, actually, I should address this to the camera. If you're listening to this or you're watching this, let us know what you think of the video. Um, this one's going to go out to all of our patrons. I think eventually it will be, it will be at the research collaborator tier. But we're putting this out to everyone who's already a patron because we appreciate you so much. You will be grandfathered into these videos. So, a little transition. But in exchange, please give us your feedback. We'd really appreciate it. And your souls. Your souls, yeah. That, that's the Just next kidding. step. That'll come on January. 1st. TBD. TBD. Yeah. We're, uh, we're looking at that. So, James, what are we talking about today on this bonus episode? So, today, I mean, we've hyped this up for a while, but today's episode is about the Stanford Prison Experiment. The Stanford Prison Experiment. The one and only. Yep. This is actually a crazy paper. It actually to... was. And kind of the rabbit holes I dove down disturbed me. Yeah, we're also hitting pretty well for getting weird bonus episodes that start with obscure literary references. Yes. He quotes Dostoevsky right at the start of this paper. Yeah, just this ominous foreshadowing of what's to come. I will say not as ominous as quoting from Revelations in the Bible, but... No, but if it's you, up there. But if you start your paper talking about Siberian prison camps, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a, definitely not a good. It says sign. something about what, it. Sets the tone what you're getting um, into. Yeah, before we dive into the paper, there, you know, there may be people listening who have not heard of this before. Yes. So the Stanford Prison Experiments. Well, the Stanford Prison Experiment was an experiment that happened in the 1970s. I think it took place in 1971, mm -hmm. and it was these psychologists and sociologists who basically set up a fake prison in their lab 
yeah, in the basement of the psychology building at Stanford, Professor Philip Zimbardo, who I think is still an active voice about prison science and psychology. Yeah. He has like an active website that I checked out. Yeah, it sounds like there's a lot of good info. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then two of his students, or at least two students from the psychology department, Craig Haney and Curtis Banks. Those were the main authors on the paper. Right. And one thing I thought was interesting was this is actually funded by the Office of Naval Research. Yeah, which like in the paper that, at least the version of the paper that I read was like a report for the Office of Naval Research. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. In the abstract, they actually talk about why they get into it, um, which I think we should cover. But for a little bit of context, like this is in the 1970s. Um, so after World War II, but I think a lot of people in psychology were really interested looking back and studying, you know, how so many of the atrocities in World War II could have happened. The Holocaust, the rise of fascism, sort of this huge state propaganda. You know, it's 1970s too, where like, in the midst of the Cold War. So everything yeah. going on between the United States and Soviet Union. It's a really interesting time for psychology and sort of like getting troops ready for like potential like another big war. Yeah. Well, and like, you know, the big, I guess the really relevant kind of example of that for this prison experiment is that, uh, have you heard of the Nuremberg defense? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. like that, that the Nuremberg defense basically is the real world kind of like canonical example of what actually happens in this study mm-hmm. of like, oh, well, I was just following orders or I was just playing a role. Yes. For, so, yeah. So for people who, who aren't familiar, uh, this was the trial after World War II where essentially Nazis who committed war crimes were put on trial for what they did. And, you know, they did horrible things, but many of them were like, I was a soldier. I was just doing what I was told or I didn't have clear orders. So I was doing what I thought I needed to do. Right. And so I guess that kind of teases what actually goes down in the Stanford prison experiment and why people still talk about it today is that over the course of six days, they took a group of, what was it, something like 21 very normal, these kind of like middle class undergraduate students, basically, yep. all of whom were like screened for any sort of psychological issues or any sort of um, background that might predispose them to different conditions. They were all like, these are as normal middle of the road people as you can get. Actually, yeah, so they took 70 people, and these were the like top 20 in terms of mental and physical stability and right. maturity. And, um, things kind of go really wrong in just yeah. six days. Lord of the Flies. It basically, yeah, this paper kind of is like a Lord of the Flies situation. They're lucky there weren't large rocks and a well, prisoner named Piggy. Well, the guards were given like nightsticks. True, yeah. Which They're... fortunately they didn't use, but... There are great pictures of this, and I think there was actually a movie that came out, right? recently uh it seems that way yeah i think there's been like a movie and a documentary and some other like dramatizations but mm-hmm. yeah so i mean with that let's dive in yeah let's dive in why not so uh, i was getting at before is that in the abstract they talk about why this is important uh to the office of naval research which i, I think it's worth just talking about for a second they justified this research by saying that overall it helps us to develop a better understanding of basic psychological mechanisms underlying human aggression so that's like a red flag yeah um but then also for like specific applications the study is helpful for identifying and isolating the processes which motivate aggressive or submissive behavior uh within a total institution so a total institution being like prison or the military i see like a self-contained like system of people yeah where there's like very clear power boundaries yeah and further, the Navy was interested in it because uh, not only for like naval prisons, for how to operate them, yeah. but in battle, you have soldiers who are together. I mean, even not in battle, just in deployments, who are in very close uh, quarters for a protracted amount of time. So they're trying to like, they really want to understand how they can reduce conflict and improve the effectiveness of teams. Yeah. And, I th- and that's something I picked up also, even in the intro of... The other version of this paper, which was published in, I think, like the International Journal of Criminology and Punishment or something like that. Mm-hmm. And basically the the underlying idea being what happens when you place like men in close quarters together and under like duress. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if like that's really like a great like guiding. Uh, mm, well, we set out to see, you know, it kind of seems like it started maybe in less good faith than that and now it's that's kind of like a retroactive justification of like 
Oh, and we saw. We all, and we sure did see what happens. Some of that felt like it was sort of justifying it after the fact. It kind of and they're like, like, hey, I wonder what would happen if yeah. maybe that's just my. And know. the other and the other thing is that a big motivation that they lay out in the other paper is like the U.S. prison system. And this is they're writing this in the 70s and it rings totally true today. The U.S. prison system is like very broken. Like the correctional system does not work. It's no longer cast in terms of like um, rehabilit or they cast it, you know, rhetorically in terms of rehabilitation. But in reality, recidivism rates are 75 percent and. Great word, recidivism. Recidivism. I yeah. learned that one. Yeah. yeah. So they're they again kind of like a maybe a post justification of saying like, well, we wanted to see what causes these prison dynamics. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, they again they certainly saw, but I don't think that that really fixed anything because here we are, forty years later. No, and people talk about this all the time. What's interesting is that I found myself talking about this, and I actually mentally had confused it with a different experiment that's similar. It's similar in the like just obeying orders, and it came out at the same time. I think it was the Milgram. I was about Milgram. to ask if it's the Milgram experiment. Yeah, with shocking people. Mm-hmm. I think it was actually like, that was like 10 years earlier. Oh, okay. But that's another one that gets brought up, you know, when you watch the TED talk about, oh, how do humans react to power? You know, they talk about the Stanford prison experiment and the Milgram experiment. <laughs> yeah. And it's interesting. It's made such an impact. I mean, just, you know, these are still like our initial thoughts, but this is like such a, pro- this study has had such a profound effect on society that it's brought up like an everyday discourse but it was like they tested with like 20 white dudes yeah from stanford yeah i mean i don't think they were necessarily students at stanford they were just from the area but like i don't know i I think that's where a lot of the criticism about the study comes up yeah it's like a very limited test case and yeah you're right like very locally very like localized and you know it's only one experiment like Mm -hmm. i think there is a tendency of people to point to the stanford prison experiment to explain a lot of things when like you wouldn't similarly do that for just a single study in any other field yeah but then reading this paper i was like i mean i can't really imagine doing this multiple times and expecting a different outcome than what happened no maybe slightly more nuanced responses but sure globally it's hard to imagine because i think we've all experienced some level of it but uh, let's dive in let's dive in give a person like a bullhorn at any event and then you will see someone abusing power yeah you know (laughs) give someone a walkie-talkie and watch things unravel yeah exactly so yeah we have now been talking for 15 minutes and have not said a single thing about the paper but so we kind of mentioned they set up this fake prison they literally converted like the basement of the department into it was i think they took like a 35 foot section of hallway and offices and they split it in half one half was for observation Mm -hmm. and the other half was the prison and the prison had three cells where there were uh, three prisoners at any given time. Yeah, they each had their own individual cell. It sounds like they were old, sort of like bio labs almost. So it was like mm. a, not huge. It was like seven foot by seven foot, something like that. And they replaced the door with black painted iron bars yeah. to simulate a prison. Yeah, and they had like just a cot and like a toothbrush and soap. Like that's all they were given. Yep. And they also had... This was intense. When I read this, I was like, man, shit's about to get real. They had a closet for solitary confinement. Yeah. It was only two foot by two foot by nine foot with no lighting. I know. So horrible. And it got used. Yeah, it got used. And now, you, I mean, you know, we it's say horrible. it's so horrible, but that's actually like, that is actually happening to people for, and the rules that they set out at the beginning of the experiment were you're not allowed to do solitary confinement for more than an hour. Mm-hmm. In, in the website by... Dr. Zimbardo that I was reading earlier, he talks about a letter he got from an inmate in an Ohio prison who was in solitary confinement for 37 months. 37 months? Yeah. I'm impressed that he was able to write a letter because I would go in, like, I would mentally go insane. Uh, like, just kill me. Kill Seriously, me. Seriously, I, I would yeah. rather be dead than experience that. Yeah. Anyway. That's so. I spend 12 hours in the lab and I can, like, barely talk to another human. I know. We have it. We have it pretty made so the stanford prison that they created is like a total microcosm i guess of a regular prison and the subjects that they had we mentioned there was 21 people that were chosen and 11 of them i think were assigned as prisoners and 10 were assigned as guards and at any given time there were only three prisoners and they were there 24 hours a day like they were they were held captive um and the guards worked in shifts of i think three people at a time yeah the eight hour shifts and when they were done with their shift they could like go home go back to their regular life and then come back for their shift the next day 
Yep. And the only incentive for doing this was they got paid $15. Dude, $15 a day? A day. And they didn't know going into it which they would be. It would like this. They say this, which I thought was interesting. It's a single treatment variable. They were randomly selected to be prisoner or captor. Yeah. That was it. And then they just let it happen. And so they got like everyone had an orientation or sorry, the captors had an orientation the day before. They were given khaki uniforms, a baton, like you mentioned. <laughs> they look like like Halloween costumes of a you know Reno nine one one officer or something. It looks like Reno nine one one. Yeah, I think one guy is wearing like aviators too. No, they all wore aviators. That was part of the uniform. It was like they oh, had I didn't reflective see that. sunglasses so that they can't make eye contact. Oh, that okay. It was all about like depersonalization. Yes. Like it was all very intentional. They were like, we're gonna give them uniforms that make them all feel like they're the same to each other. And mm-hmm. so they can't make eye contact with the prisoners. And I mean, it also helps. So 21 people, 20 of them are white Caucasians. And I think there was one person who was of Asian descent. Yeah, which uh, there was a couple things in this paper that definitely rang as like, whoa, this was written in the 70s. All the male, definitely geared towards a male audience too. Well, that I can actually forgive because like 95% of prisoners are male and like the same thing if you're talking about in you know, naval prisons or whatever like that's that's really the demographic that you should be studying yeah but it was more like they said there were 20, 20 of them were white and one of them was oriental oriental yeah and then other things like they were talking about like you know we definitely put constraints like there there were not there was not allowed like racism or homosexuality and then later they also referred to it as like forced homosexuality i mean what they're talking about is rape yeah like prison rape yeah, but they're calling it forced homosexuality. Like the homosexuality is the bad part about it. Yeah, it wouldn't fly. They also bring that up a lot. <laughs> yeah, they kind of do. Uh, anyway, so the prisoner, the the guards are part of the setup of the prison. They get an yeah. orientation. They actually get to set some of the ground rules. Yes, like in terms of like, oh, you can only use solitary confinement for an hour max. Like the guards were the ones who decided on those rules. But and the prisoners, I thought this was actually kind of messed up. These students had signed a consent form saying like, yes, um, I agree. Some of my civil liberties may be infringed upon, but I won't be physically harmed. You know, I agree to this rate of pay. But they didn't tell them like when or what the experiment was. They just showed up at their house on a Sunday with the Stanford police who like were in on it. And yeah. Arrested them. They said like you're arrested for armed robbery and like attempted burglary. They cuffed them, booked them, brought them to the station, everything. Um, and then they blindfolded them and drove them to the psychology building. Uh, yeah, it's I, you know, you hear about the experiment, but I didn't realize to what extent they like made these people actually feel like prisoners. And uh, it's funny that they mention in the paper, they're like, and oftentimes wit like neighbors were seen looking at the suspect as they were arrested. Yeah, I was like humiliating. Yeah. There's even pictures on the on Zimbardo's website of like the arrest procedure. Dang. And it, I mean, it looks like, I mean, it's very 70s. Like the cops have big mustaches <laughs> and like the kind of like globular siren on the, on the on the roof of the car. But, you know, it looks, I mean, it looks very real and very humiliating. Yeah. And then also the, the cops were instructed, like, you're not allowed to tell them whether this is part of the experiment. So even if the, the oh. kids were asking like, oh, is this, oh, is this for that experiment that I signed up for? Oh yeah, they, they were, weren't told. They read them like their Miranda rights, and like that was it. Yeah, it was like silence. Yeah, and uh. so when all the prisoners got there, they like they believed they kind of. I mean, I think they probably half believed, but like they told each other, like I think we're actually in jail. <laughs> like, and they start saying it that was, to to new prisoners who show up later. They start saying like this is actual prison. They didn't like actually think it would be that bad. Yeah. Let's ha- let's talk about the uniforms that the prisoners had to wear. Yeah, well, so the whole onboarding process. Yeah. So when they showed up, they made them, they took off the blindfold, they made them get naked, they de-loused them with like a spray. Yeah, and they had to stand naked and, and isolated for like at least an hour, if not hours. Yeah. Like waiting for someone to come up with their uniform. Yeah. And then their uniform. <laughs> yeah, the uniform. Was it was like a, uh, it's like a Moslem dress. Yeah. And then they had to wear it's a, a cap. It's a potato sack. Yeah. With legs cut out. And they had no undergarments yep. or anything. They, so another thing that they referenced, I think, way too many times in this paper was like, they were like, oh, well, because they had no undergarments, they were forced to sit in uncomfortable positions, even womanly positions. Like, yeah, I like, feel like less of a man. I think they use the word effeminate. 
Yeah, here we go. Times. It's um the uniforms force them to assume unfamiliar postures, more like those of a woman than a man. Another part of the emasculating process of becoming a prisoner. Yeah, they talk a lot about gender in it. Um, yeah, but so then they also had to wear the stocking caps <laughs> that made them all kind of look like they were bald. Yeah, they're like they cut like pantyhose, like the feet of pantyhose, and made them wear them as hats. And it, I think that's all they had it, initially. There was like a schedule where the prisoners could. They were able to get three like bland meals a day. They were allowed to have three visits to the, supervised visits to the toilet. Yeah. And then they had like two hours where they could read or write. But like that was basically it. That was their day. Yeah. And those were those were like those were ground rules. It was like they are allowed to have these things. This is what day. they signed up for. Yeah. Right. And, and was- the one other thing that I forgot to mention that comes up later, too, is that uh, like the roll call where they count out. So the prisoners are each assigned a number, which is funny because there's three of them. But they also do a roll call to make sure that no one's missing, once a day at least. Yeah. And, like, that ended up being one of the signs of things just totally, like, devolving. Yeah, they said, um, I think it was three times a day. So I think they probably did it once during each guard shift. Okay. And, uh, yeah, it says the roll call started out as, like, a 10, the first one took 10 minutes. Yeah. And by the end, they were taking, like, several hours every yeah every day they spontaneously increased and uh yeah the guards just quickly abandoned all of these rules and it's crazy to me because at no point that i don't know maybe we can get into this now like reading this paper kind of seemed like something was like missing from it you mm-hmm. know what i mean yeah like i mean the the authors of the paper had a role in this prison one of the authors was the quote unquote warden of the prison yeah, one of the other ones was the uh, like the superintendent. Like they had roles that they were playing as well and interacting with the guards and the prisoners, but they don't really talk about them. I wish they had brought it up more in the experimental side because there was there were things like there was a parole hearing. Yeah, that they did a couple days in. Yeah, and they mentioned these things like offhand in the paper, but you're like, wait, why did you have these things? Yeah, they actually brought in a priest. Yeah, who is used to like going around and talking to inmates and stuff and they brought in a lawyer like a defense lawyer dude they brought in the lawyer because of the priest the priest was asking the prisoners like what are you doing to us to get out of here and they were like the prisoners were like well what do you mean he's like well you need a lawyer to get out of prison and so then the prisoners requested lawyers <laughs> and so they brought the public defender in like yeah so it's so this is what was weird though is that you know, they kind of walk through like oh, some of the results and they talk about some of the pathologies that like manifested in the in the people participating. But they mention like, oh, you know, the experiment ended early after six days, even though it was supposed to be two weeks. And then they never really say why they never really say why we have a parole hearing or. And there's like little. So in the paper itself, there are like little clues to something else happening. Yeah. Like it, there's a section called coping mechanisms that they witness in the prisoners. And they say, prisoners first exhibited disbelief, then rebellion. They never mention rebellion anywhere else. Yeah. But like, uh, why did they rebel? And what happened when they rebelled? Yes. And then even more surprising, they say, then direct force and then subtle divisive tactics designed to foster distrust amongst themselves. I mean, it's crazy. And they said, lastly, they tried to work within the system to set up like a grievance committee and stuff. And keep in mind, this is six days. Six days. I mean, six, 24 hours a day, but it's only I mean, six days. Yeah. And like, it's like a fake, it's a fake setting. Like they, in theory, they know that this is not real, you know? But so this is where like reading Zimbardo's website really mm-hmm. kind of filled in a lot of the gaps in the paper for me. Uh-huh. Like, you know, you mentioned something about rebellion. Yeah. On the, on the morning of the second day, rather during the night shift going into the second day, the prisoners staged like a rebellion. They barricaded themselves in into like one cell. They like pushed their beds up against it. But like, why? <laughs> why did they, why did they have a rebellion? Like, was day one that bad? You know? Yeah. What happened? Well, okay. You know, the big elephant in the room for those of us who have read the paper, <laughs> which is no one who's listening, uh, that they mention is that what was it five participants or something had to leave because of emotional stress in the first two days yeah like so crying uh a psychosomatic rash yeah i've got the um i've got a quote on it here 
Five prisoners had to be released because of, quote, extreme emotional depression, crying, rage, and acute anxiety. One even developed a psychosomatic rash. Yeah. And the rash he developed after the parole hearing. He had the parole hearing and then was later told, um, you are denied parole. And then, like, within hours, rash broke out. Oh, my God. And they were ready to leave. Like, they're like, would you leave without pay? And they're like, yes. Yeah. That, so that's yes. what the parole hearing was. They were like, if if we let you out now, will you forfeit all the money? And they said, yes. And I wonder if that was real or not. Like, if they would still get paid. Well, I don't know. I mean, but so, but th- it, so this is where it's like the gaps in the paper are weird. Is that like, that is a power play by the authors of the paper. The guards did not organize that parole hearing and they didn't host it. Yeah. The the authors of the paper were like doing some weird power play with the prisoners setting up this parole board. And then Zimbardo even says, oh, at the parole hearing, when we say, are you willing to leave the experiment and forfeit the money? And they say, yes. And he was like, so at that point we know, like we can infer that they, um, they don't want to be part of the experiment anymore. So then when we say, okay, we're going to review your parole application, then they like march back to their cell and get in their cell. And he was like, that shows how deeply psychologically like ingrained it is that they are a prisoner. Because at that point, they could have just like gotten up and flipped the table and said, no, I'm done. I don't want the money. You can't legally keep me captive. But instead, they like walk silently back to their cell, like escorted by a guard, even though they've already been told you can leave the experiment. Yeah. I mean, I think power play is a good description for it, because really, that's what it is, is like, I think it does throw off the experiments a little bit because like, you know, it seems like a wild card. And he like in this scenario, he actually is a position figure. Yeah. A position, a power He's he's in a position of power. I got he's actually a power figure, um, but yeah, totally. And you know, in the beginning, they talk about the contract that they have to sign to do this experiment, and they say if you are selected as a prisoner, you are signing away some of your basic civil rights, right? Which is nuts. Yeah, but I mean, there's no way you could have expected that this is what they meant. No, and I think that the reason why it got so bad was like just each little incident. I think built on the last one. Mm-hmm. And Zimbardo says in the paper, like, once they reached a certain level of aggression, that became the new baseline from which to then, like, further instigate aggression. So and I think the rebellion probably, like, kicked off the first aggression. After the rebellion, the guards got together and they were like, all right, we're going to separate the prisoners. Like, these ones who didn't have anything to do with it, they get their stuff back. They're going to get to go back to their cell and get certain privileges. They called them privileges, but really what they meant was you can go to the bathroom and brush your teeth. The things that they were guaranteed in the beginning. The things that they were guaranteed yeah. as ba- as like the basic, you know, the ba- like the baseline of what they got for the study. Yeah. Whereas the other ones, they said, you no longer get these privileges like like bathroom visits and um, being able to wash yourself and brush your teeth. Wear your glasses. Yeah. So now like these basic things that they were supposed to be guaranteed became, I mean, literally like the guards called them privileges. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Yeah. And. I mean, it's scary just reading about the the abuse. Like there, there was no fi- there were no physical altercations, but there was definitely like verbal abuse and intimidation. And they would get the inmates to the inmates, the prisoners, to the convicts, like berate each other as like part of these games. And what I thought was crazy, and actually seemed really like representative of the prison system, based on the very little that I know, is that. Uh, they would flip the rules around on them. So it's like sometimes if you didn't laugh at one of the guards' jokes, you'd get punished. Or if you did, then you'd get punished. And so it's like any interaction that you have, any attention could just be extremely negative. And so all you want to do is just withdraw and like be left alone. Yeah, dude. So the thing that you said about like prisoners turning on each other, one of the things I got from Zimbardo's site was he talks about this one incident where prisoner 817 who was, I think, like one of the later prisoners after some had already left and he came in, he had he started like crying hysterically and was just like completely inconsolable. And so they took him and they separated him. They put him in this other room. They were like, here, like lie down. This was the, the researchers. They were like, okay, here, lie down, like just calm yourself. And when they took him out, the guards then made the rest of the prisoners start chanting Prisoner 817 did a bad thing. And I have a video of this. I'll play the video. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. 
Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. Prisoner 819 did a bad thing. How creepy is that? That's really weird. So, so then he continues the story and he says, as they're all shouting this, he realizes that prisoner, I've been saying 817, it's 819. Prisoner 819 can hear it like from the room that he's in. Whoa. And so he's like, oh crap. And so he runs into the other room and 819 is again like crying hysterically, like inconsolable. And so Zimbardo is like, hey, like it's okay. Don't worry. Like you can, you can go home. Like you don't need to worry about this anymore. And he was like, no, I don't want to go home. I'm a bad prisoner. I want to like, I'm not leaving. I'm going to prove that I'm not a bad prisoner. And he was like, so he was so ingrained. Like he had to stay and prove that he wasn't a bad prisoner because the other prisoners thought poorly of him. And then, uh, now quoting Zimbardo, he says, at that point I said, listen, you're not number 819. You are clay. And my name is Dr. Zimbardo. I'm a psychologist, not a prison superintendent. This is not a real prison. This is just an experiment. Those are students, not prisoners. They're just like you. Let's go. He says, Whoa. He says, he stopped crying suddenly, looked up at me like a small child awakened from a nightmare, and replied, okay, let's go. Dude, that's freaky. Yeah, just like imagining that whole thing was I'm like, like very powerful. Just got shivers down my back. Isn't that insane? Yeah. He was like, I don't want to leave. I mean, it, the whole thing just derailed completely. Yeah. It, I, truthfully... I mean, we were talking about this a little bit in the lead up to this episode, but it's hard to believe, like reading it. Truthfully, like, I almost wouldn't believe it if there weren't like videos and so much evidence and it was like a scholarly paper. Like, you read this and you're like, I think the thing that's hardest for me to believe is how fast things devolved. Yeah. So for them to have canceled it after six days Mm -hmm. and for in those six days, you know, they had like, so this was another going back to where I kind of think like the researchers are sort of sickly like to blame for this. They did have like family visits. Mm-hmm. So I think they were allowed visits maybe every two days or something. And so on one of the days they brought all their parents in and like, you know, siblings and stuff. And they specifically, they were, he, he Zimbardo says, he's like, we were worried that when they saw the state of the prison, that they would object and they would take their kids out. So we spruced it up. They were like, we let them take a shower and like, we gave them a really nice dinner and talking about the prisoners. He's like, we gave the prisoners a good meal. We let them shower. Um, we made up the waiting room to be nice. We, we fixed up kind of the prison itself to look nice. We had like... That's a red flag. Yeah. We had like a cheerleader from the Stanford team greet them at the, in the waiting room. Just like they put on this big show. Yeah. And then even then... Like when the parents visited, you know, they were still only granted, you know, 10 minutes or whatever. And some of the parents still objected. And then they and then they pressured the parents. They were like, really? what? Well, you don't think your son is tough enough? Like, didn't you teach your boy to be tough? He's yeah, this like, is, he, I mean, he actually this is like some he 1970s, like, machismo. Totally. I mean, like, you want to talk about, like, toxic masculinity. I mean, this is a great example. Yeah. You know? Begging some questions. I mean, I can see, I haven't read, like, a lot of the specific criticisms of this work. I mean, I'm definitely interested to go into it now. So sorry if you were hoping to hear more of that on this, from me at least. But I mean, people criticize the methods and like the overall conduct of the research. And it's like, yeah, there are some very questionable practices going on here. Like, could you imagine trying to do this? The second, the A, the police would never agree to that. No. Oh, my God. And just like the psychological trauma. Yeah. It's hard to even count the number of potential lawsuits. Yeah. So speaking of the police you know, would never agree to this today. Zimbardo said that at one point they learned there was going to be a prisoner rebellion. This was on like day five or something. They learned that they were in talks and they were planning something. And so suddenly the researchers themselves started scrambling to try and like squash this rebellion. They were like, they, they tried, they separated the prisoners. And what they did was they like basically, you know, black bagged them and they tried to get them moved to the Stanford police's old prison that was not being used. Uh huh. And the Stanford police were like, no, like you can't use it like insurance reasons and we don't want to be involved. And, uh, and he says like, he was like, in my mind, I was actually angry at the police department for not, you know, looking out for a fellow like correctional facility. And he points out, he's like, He's like, that's when I realized how deeply ingrained I was in this experiment. And when I started to think maybe this is too far. <sighs> but yeah. Like they literally, yeah. like, like Zimbardo himself, like, you know, blindfolded and separated. He said then that then they brought them to another makeshift prison that they made in the basement of some other building and kept them separate until 
after the supposed rebellion was supposed to happen. And then they had the ones that they separated start informing on the other prisoners. Dude, what the fuck? This is just like, it's crazy. It's really messed up. It's really messed but up. But here's the thing. I still think that it makes a, such an interesting case study. I don't think that, I think a lot of people will make these criticisms and say like, well, they say that these things devolved and granted, yes, that's how they presented in the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, but then the criticism is, but the researchers themselves were actually forcing this behavior. And it's like, well, that makes it actually more representative of what would happen in like a military command or in a real prison. And case study is a great is a great way to describe it. Yeah, because it happened. Like, right? It's not. A, it's probably not the best research in terms of like a controlled study where we can take away like key psychological rules that will apply to broadly to prison or uh, like these other confined spaces. But like, dude, things got crazy. And there, are, I think they do a good job highlighting of like why things got crazy. These like power boundaries and I don't I mean, you can quickly force people into like these mindsets that are very hard to shake. Like you mentioned with Prisoner 819. Yeah. What another thing that I kind of found really interesting, you know, kind of trying to remove my mind from the fact that maybe the researchers were forcing behavior mm-hmm. is like, how did it start? Because when you... When you think about like how the prison experiment began and how there were some ground rules laid out, there was no specific set of like, here's what has to be achieved. It was just, you are guards and you just have to do a roll call three times a day. Well, it was interesting in the paper. They said they thought that the guards had the impression that this research was mainly focused on the prisoners. Yes. The guards didn't know they were being studied too. Yes. So they actually, it sounded like they really felt a duty towards the research oh towards like making the prisoners feel like prisoners yeah almost like a i'm putting these in my own words or the words that i read from another study from microsoft Hmm. that was similar similar to milgram's experiment Hmm. um which we never really explained yeah milgram's Milgram's experiment experiment. is like you are a prisoner or you're like a guard and you're tasked with like shocking people who get the answer wrong to certain questions but what you don't know is that the other participant who's answering the questions and getting shocked is in on it. They're, They're not accurate. actually getting shocked. But it. But there's someone who's telling you, they got that wrong, shock them. Yes, and they're, they're acting not like deciding. They're... It's just like an authority figure with like a clipboard who says, okay, you need to administer a shock now. Yeah. So there are interesting things. They found some particular results where like people who were devoted to getting good science were actually like, they followed through more. They still felt remorse. In shocking, they used avatars. Oh, you're saying Microsoft. Microsoft version? Yeah, but there was a sense of like duty to for science to I do well. I see. So the, in the Milgram experiment, where uh, I think if I recall correctly, the outcome there was kind of people were willing to administer shocks even when they knew that the shock was supposedly lethal, and the person that they're watching getting shocked is showing extreme pain, even just though because it they were told to do it. Extreme anxiety. Yeah. Yeah. So you're saying the Microsoft version, they were, you know, shocking an avatar, but. Yes, but I mean, basically many of the results still held. And it was like a disposition towards like doing good science that led them to give worse punishment. For some of the participants, it sounded like. That's crazy. And sort of this, they're stuck in this weird middle ground of like, they know it's bad. Even with an avatar, they don't want to. But yeah, I mean, it's interesting. We'll post a link to it too in the notes. So that makes me wonder and and actually kind of worry that like huh maybe like i would have been one of these bad prison guards you know so that's the thing i mean i think we can open this up more broadly to like what does this paper teach us i think that's the scary thing is like you know these aren't these aren't just like people who are bad or anything it's like they're normal people that's what they said they were mature these were the best of the 70 participants they found you know who knows what the other participants were like but like you but have to picking from like a sadistic pool of you know like murderers this is palo alto yeah they were picking from a bunch of undergraduate college students yeah and i mean i think the takeaway is like we are all susceptible to this behavior and you know hopefully we're never in a situation you know it's a it's a real luxury to never be in a situation where you're forced to do that but like you brought up the example earlier today of abu Ghraib, the prison like Dude. Yeah, I mean, I clicked through to that from the Wikipedia on the Stanford on the Stanford prison experiment. Mm-hmm. Horrifying, and like, you know, disturbingly relatable after reading the Stanford experiment. 
if you had asked any of them before they got deployed, you know, for that assignment, like, would you ever do this? Who would ever say yes? You were like, no, I have self-control and whatever, but like you're in an ambiguous environment and you have a sense of duty. Yeah. I like, I'm worried. (laughs) Yeah. I'm worried, but I don't know what you do. Yeah. So just for background, I think most of the American listeners probably know what Abu Ghraib is, but uh, if you don't know what it is, it, there was this, it was this huge scandal and like a war crime that happened at uh, the Abu Ghraib prison camp mm-hmm. in like 2003 or 2004. In Iraq, right? I think it was in Iraq, yeah. And they had these like Iraqi prisoners and it was a U.S. camp and the prison guards there basically did like what happened here in the Stanford prison experiment, only now remove the rule where you're not allowed to physically abuse and remove the six-day time constraint. And imagine like where this would go. And you're in a war. And imagine, yes. And now imagine the stakes are you're trying to find terrorists. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's horrible what happened. So the scandal was, you know, pictures and rapes and murders and horror. Yeah. It's just go to the Wikipedia page if you have the stomach for it. The pictures on there, which are just the ones that are publicly available, were like made my stomach churn. Ugh. But it, but like you're right that it's like a direct analog here. You know, you just create like a closed system where there's pressure from the top and people who are ill-equipped to do this job or maybe don't even know what the job is. Mm -hmm. And so they take it into their own hands and get and turn really sick with it, you know? And I mean, like, what are the odds that those people had heard of the Stanford prison experiment? It's like probably pretty high. Yeah. This is two, this is 30 years later. At some point in their life, they had heard of it and had the passing thought of like, wow, I would never do that. Yeah. You know? They've at least heard of, you know, World War II. So you know who brings this up a lot? Who always touches on this idea? Dan Carlin? Dan Carlin. Dan Carlin, the man. I don't Dan know if we have man. any hardcore history listeners here, but it's James and I's favorite, favorite podcast, besides Paperboys, of course. <laughs> uh, Top three. But he's always talking about how like, well... You know, I say that I wouldn't be one of these like horrible people, but if you were born in the right time and under the right conditions and you had the right, you know, resources, like he was like, he was like, I wonder who it is. I think that the analogy he always says is like, I've got this dentist who particularly loves like drilling my teeth and causes pain and almost seems to like it. He's like, and I always wonder like, would he have been <laughs> one of these, you know, prison guards or some, you know, one of these horrible like Roman executors or something like that? Or maybe just a great dentist. Or maybe just a great across dentist. time. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, no, totally. But um, like humans haven't changed in thousands of years. It's just conditions that have changed. No, and I mean, uh, we we recently watched that movie Jojo Rabbit about the little boy who's born it during World War II, and he's one of like Hitler's youth. Yeah, it's a, it's a great like comedy. Great but, movie. Everyone go watch that movie. It's really good. But I mean, I think that's at the core of the movie is like. You're born, you're 10 years old, you don't know any different, and, like, you want to fit in. Yeah. And Like, his imaginary friend is Hitler, and he talks all the time about how Jews are creatures, and... Yeah. And you're like, that is probably easy to believe when you're a child, you know? You're 10 years old, and you have no idea what's going on. Yeah. And, you know, his version of Hitler is this, like, funny, <laughs> friendly guy who's, like, his best friend. Yeah. So, he had a couple things wrong. Yeah, anyway. Um, Slight tangent, but it's a, it's a good movie. Yeah. Very powerful as well. Powerful movie. So, I mean, I think that's most of the paper. It was, uh, I'm actually glad we read this. I feel like I I appreciate having a deeper understanding of what the actual experiment was because it comes up so much in society. Hopefully, if you're listening, you feel like you got some of those details as well. Let us know. But yeah. And I also feel like, uh, I, I almost feel like I don't even really have like a different take on it than I did before. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like people have been pretty good about being thorough in their analysis of this when it's conveyed, you know, in like I mentioned, I feel like probably 90% of the times I've heard about this, it's been in a TED talk. Yeah. You know, and they do a pretty good job of conveying the implications. But just knowing the specific details of how it all went down was it's really the, interesting to me. Those details. I didn't, if you'd ask me before this, like, did you know the Stanford sci- or prison experiment was crazy? I'd be like, yeah, because that's why everyone brings it up. If you're like, why was it crazy? I'd be like, I don't know. People are mean. Or I'd be like, oh, well, you know, the guards just started abusing the prisoners. And people would be like, well, what did they do? Like, I don't know. They abused them? Like, they were mean? But seeing the act, like, reading about the actual things that they did to, you know, be mean to the prisoners and belittle them and 
reinforce the structure and also with the things that the prisoners did that sort of reinforce reinforced their submissiveness makes it much more real and you know like much more i think i feel better equipped to like notice these pressures of power even in like more subtle environments totally where there isn't like a prisoner captor relationship but like you know even just talking to your like grad advisor in school or something like that like what's the difference i had this exact experience today really like within hours of reading the stanford experiment Uh uh-huh where i just imagined on a completely total small scale of this but like you know last week or maybe two weeks ago i was kind of getting mad at someone in my office because they said that they were giving out the door code to our office Uh uh-huh well, they were complaining about how it's not really secure, but then they went, you know, and flipped around and said like, oh yeah, I've already given out the door code. And I kind of got mad. I was like, why would you do that? Like if you're, if you don't want it to be out there. And then today my advisor came by my office and he doesn't have the code and he knocked and I opened it and he was like, oh man, this thing's locked. Like what's the code for this anyway? And I like paused for a second and I was like, and then I told him. <laughs> And then I immediately felt guilty and I was like, oh my God, why did I do that? Is it like this weird power structure? Did I feel like I wasn't able to say no to just giving out the door code to his, essentially his office? Like, it's very real. Yeah. I mean, it's a real. I kind of feel like it's going to change the way that I think about tons of those tiny interactions, you know? Yes. I mean, and I think it, it really does expand to like, I think we've all been in those situations where it's really hard to like speak up and say your mind because you're it's like tangible the power hierarchy in rooms especially in like you know these total institutions and i mean i would i would venture to say like in terms of like social institutions academia is much more of a total institution than other workplaces yeah certainly it's very yeah it's very like uh closed off you know yeah but i think it like sort of my goal after this is to be more outspoken in like when I feel like something is wrong or if I have an, a hopefully valid opinion on something, an informed opinion, I should say. Yeah. But uh, or like questions or whatever, because I think it sort of shatters that for other people, too, hopefully. And yeah, I don't know. Yeah. You know, we all we've all been in situations where someone else speaks up and does that. And it's, I think it's pretty admirable and hard yeah. to do. It's real. Yeah, it's really hard to do. I don't know. It's uh, it's a lot to chew on. A lot to chew on. So I guess, why don't I just read the last little, uh, like, sentence of the paper then? Yeah. Since we, we need to give something to chew on. A little paper boy's bone. Yeah. So he says, uh, if our mock prison could generate the extent of pathology it did in sh- such a short time, then the punishment of being imprisoned in a real prison does not fit the crime for most prisoners. Indeed, it far exceeds it. And then... He says, moreover, since both prisoners and guards are locked into a dynamic symbiotic relationship, which is destructive to their human nature, guards are also society's prisoners. Boom. That I thought was a pretty interesting take Yeah. to, to end the paper on. Almost a hot take, you know? Like <laughs> this whole paper is about how the guards turned into these like huge assholes. And then he's like, but guards are just victims of society as well. Sort of like the sixth sense of academic papers yeah like guards were the victims all along <laughs> m night Shyamalan. yeah we just Bruce got willis sh- was a prisoner the whole time we all just got Shyamalan. yeah but i don't um, know i mean but no i think that speaks to what we were just saying about how it's so easy to kind of succumb into these power structures and like you know you talk about the nuremberg defense you're like is that a valid legal defense are we willing to forgive people because they were just obeying orders I don't know if you should forgive them and excuse them legally, but I think to recognize that you too could easily fall into this and that it's not just like an inherent evil that some people have that you don't have. Mm -hmm. I think that's probably the most important takeaway that you could get from this. Yeah. I mean, you know, I think we all have very extensive, relatable experiences to this. So I won't won't ramble on about that, but it's a good paper. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it too. Let us know what you think. Check it out, too. The paper looks really long when you bring up the PDF, but it's actually a pretty quick read because it's yeah. very readable, not too technical. I also have found, like, Zimbardo is actually just a very good writer. Yes. Even reading through his website, which I would actually probably recommend checking out the website. It's prisonexp.com, or sorry, prisonexp.org. That's like prisonexp.org. Uh, go there. He's got kind of like a series of pages that walk through how the experiment went down, and there's videos and pictures along the way. Mm-hmm. But even reading the website too, I was just struck, struck, stricken. I was struck in with uh, 
Zimbardo's a good writer. Yeah. It was very impressive. It's good paper. I mean, and one that's referenced so much, like we've mentioned. I'm also curious to hear feedback on how the video is for all of our patrons. Let us know. Yeah. I've been trying not to like look over at it, and now I look over it, and I think, oh my God, I look so weird. It's strange. So... Fortunately, you can only see half my face, anyways, because of the the pop filter. But did you do that intentionally? You ha- you got to just show your good side. No, I did not. <laughs> but everyone can see you wink now, James. Everyone knows the left side of my face is the best side. So. That's true. It is. Yeah. Uh, we also got a voicemail. Our yes. first ever. Nice. A real one. And uh, no, it was just a person. Oh, this is up the, within three seconds. Deep breathing. <sighs> yeah, it was just like some creep, you know. Uh, yeah. No, I don't know who it was. If it was one of you patrons who called in and then maybe got cold feet, I encourage you to call again and leave a voicemail. Or here's an idea. If you're too nervous to leave a voicemail, send us an email and I'll and I'll have my voice generator read it as though it's a voicemail. That would be awesome. So then you can hear it in my voice. You don't need to be nervous about going on air or anything, but you can still kind of give us your thoughts there. So The deep fake. The deep fake. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks everyone for listening. As always, we really appreciate your Patreon support. Hopefully you're getting the most out of these bonus episodes, but please let us know if there's anything of interest. We'd love to tackle a paper that you're interested in or have been wondering about. So shoot us an email, message via whatever platform you prefer. Send a pigeon. Heck, I'd yeah. love that. Yeah, a pigeon. Maybe maybe an electronic pigeon, but... Yes. Um, yeah, and I'll just reemphasize thank you to all the patrons you guys are literally making James and I like you're enabling us to do our hobby and to do the thing that we really enjoy the thing that's not work for us. So we really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And join us next month for another exciting bonus episode of paper boys.